Hi, this is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. In this podcast, we talk to people who live on the Outer Banks, and through their stories, we'll explore what makes this place so special. So if you downloaded this podcast to find out where the gold is hidden, my apologies. But if you want to meet the people we treasure on this sandbar, stick around. I'm sure you'll enjoy their stories of history, local personalities, and community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks. In this latest episode, I talked to a good friend of mine, 82-year-old Waikie Wise. Uh, this is pure gold, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Waikie and I go back. Uh, I used to be a Hobie Cat dealer, and he is an avid sailor, still loves to sail. That's all he thinks about, I think. And as a Hobie dealer, he would always stop by the shop, and he would just chat and he was always just so warm and friendly and over time you know he would just share some little stories and when I decided to create a podcast I started putting a list together of people that I thought would be interesting and he was right there at the top of the list because I knew uh, some of his stuff was great. He's going to tell you his stories about growing up as a, a kid here living in Kerala back in the 50s, uh, his grandparents in Nags Head Woods, it's all great. Waikiki is a little hard of hearing, so because of that, I tend to repeat some of the questions, and sometimes uh, I kind of have a tendency to yell into the mic so he can hear me. Uh, we we did this uh, face-to-face, but we did it socially distant, and because we were across the room from each other, it was sometimes hard for him to hear me. We jump right in at the beginning of this episode. Some of the information I thought was a little drawn out, maybe a little dried. I didn't want to lose your attention, and also I... <laughs> To be honest, I did make a few little mistakes with the editing, but I think you still catch the gist of it. It's still amazing that he can trace back his family line so far, and we go on from there. I think you're going to enjoy this episode, so sit back and relax. And somewhere along the line, there was another John Wise. He was hey, they called him Johann, from the German yeah. uh, uh, origination, and he is the one that I've been following okay. closely. He married a girl named Mary uh, Sneed, and Sneed was a name that was popular. Well, Sneed's Ferry. Yep. Yeah, Sneed's Ferry. Yeah, I was going to say, Sneed's in, Ferry. Uh, North Carolina. And they also came from Accomack. There's uh, Sneed's family in Accomack. And uh, they probably knew each other when they, or the family knew each other, when, and that's why they went down that way. Right. And. From there, he moved to Bath. No, not Bath necessarily. Uh, Pamlico County, not Pamlico. Doggone it! What's the name of the county where Bath is? I know what you're talking about. Uh, so ba- Bath is an interesting place because they believe Blackbeard hung out in there. Yeah, yeah, that was that's why I and mentioned it. I, I delivered a, a Hobie cat to Bath, and we were right on the river. I, I don't know the, the river, but. And a dolphin swims right by. I mean, we're inland quite a ways, you know, and, yeah. and fish are popping all over the place. I'm like, this place is kind of cool. It's a real sleepy town right now, but I guess it was kind of a kind of a county seat, per se, back in the day, back when, you know, maritime... Tra- uh, yeah, you know. Carolina governor was stayed there for a while. Or is that right? was the upper person to do it when they were colonists. Right. And they picked the Pamlico County as the one you're... I mean, Pamlico River is the one you're okay. talking about. Okay. Because it was... Uh, for a sailing ship, if they could get in Ocracoke, it was a reach, uh, 90 oh, gotcha. degrees to the wind, gotcha. going up a beam the river reach. and coming back down the river to the inlet. 
rather than using the noose, which was had a stronger current and uh, and uh, positioned wrong. They couldn't sail one direction in the in the right. noose. Right. Right. So that's that's my that's my idea on it anyway. Yeah, and I heard Blackbeard liked it because I guess you could kind of hide in there and poke his nose out into the sound, the open water, so to speak, and. If you saw something he liked, he could go after it. Yeah, uh huh. They kept a watch. Yeah. I understand they did anyway. Kept yeah. a watch, and he'd go, he'd go get them. Yep. So, so uh, your ancestors migrated from Bath, and then eventually they wound up in Stumpy Point, right? Oh, uh, eventually this Johan settled over over there in uh, the same county as Bath. Okay. Probably in Washington. I don't know. Right. And. Uh, from there, he went to Stumpy Point. Now, I don't know of any wises being in Stumpy Point before he went there. I have no idea why he went. Right. But he went there. He was an older man then, and he had the not old. He was must he he died right after that anyway. Okay. And he had the boy with him, which was uh, Samuel Spencer Wise, and he was four years old in 1790 when I picked up on him in uh, on the. Wow. In uh, Stumpy Point. And he grew up there, married uh, married uh, a midget. Uh, no, married, uh, I can't think what these what these names are. I'm bad about that. Yeah, I'm I sorry. Know him. I hope I'm not he's confusing. Buried, he's buried down in Stumpy Point. I've been down to his grave. Is that right? And Sarah Allen Mann. I believe she was a man. Okay. As in Man's Harbor? Sarah Alice Mann, I believe it was. Anyway, Sarah yeah. Mann married her. And uh, they had a whole slew of kids and pop. I think it was from them, so far as I can understand. Everybody from Stumpy Point was uh, originated from that family of uh, Samuel Spencer Wise's children. Wow. And there were, there were a few. One of them was uh, Jackie Midget Wise was his son that in my line and from there was Joe Joseph Wise and then my grandfather John Wise I can't believe you remember all these names that's just amazing I'm not doing too good at it <laughs> <laughs> I get to my grandparents and I stop pretty much there right about there you know? <laughs> so you're doing real good um so and your grandfather and grandmother were uh born let's see grandfather born in 1881 Yes. Amazing. And your grandmother, 1887? 86, I believe. 1886. Got it. And they had how many kids? 11. Wow. Good-looking girls? <laughs> that's what the Manio boys said. That's what the Manio boys said. It's got to be true yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I hear stories over there about them coming over to Nag's Head visiting, the, visiting those wise girls. Right. Is You know, so... This is kind of interesting. So when you grow up, grew up around here and people find out your last name is Wise, you know, all of a sudden they just start talking like, oh, yeah, we know some Wises and you're probably all related, right? No, the Wises uh, had mostly girls. Oh, okay. So they dropped so, the name. Yeah, yeah. My, my grandfather had seven, seven girls and four boys and gotcha. two of those got killed. Well, I, my father was one of them. And so one of them didn't have any kids. Right. And... Uh, it's been it's been downhill even in back in uh back in england from his family that that was in there around devon around uh, the town there the harbor uh they have a in the harbor of uh 
Plymouth. It's out in, near Cornwall anyway, right on the border of Cornwall and Devon. Uh, they have a hill there that's called Wise Mound, yeah. where they had their ships and stuff like that going out. They were in shipping a lot. And uh, what was I saying? We were talking about the Wises and, and how the name is so common around here. They all died off. Over there's in England no, as well. There's nobody there in Devon any longer. Crazy. Name Wise, from what I've read. Huh. I've heard that from several sources, reading stuff from England. Wow. So, uh, so your grandparents lived in Nagshead Woods. That's I don't know when they migrated from Stumpy Point over to Nagshead Woods, but your grandparents pretty much lived in Nagshead Woods. Yeah, my grandmother was from Nagshead Woods. And, yeah. Uh, she was born on the side. Of, I I call it the side of Jockey's Ridge. It's where the sand had come in and wooded over. Yeah. A little bit, and they had houses built in there, not just them, not just my my grandmother's parents, but other people too had houses built in there, in that same area, right at the edge of the woods. And the woods became inundated there by the hill again and started blowing in. And, and his house was probably one of the last ones because he was known as by the man that lived on the hill. Yeah. So in Nagshead Woods. Is that right? Yeah. And um, so, so they didn't have uh, they didn't have electricity, right? Oh no, they didn't have anything. Jeez, and they, they had, had to pump their own water. He had a, he had a tank there alongside the house, and uh, one pump on the porch for grandmother to use doing her washing, and uh, one in the kitchen for her to do for cooking. And she wore, had a great big wood stove in there. You wouldn't believe it how big that thing was for yeah. cooking. And did you so when you say pump was that? To pump out of a cistern, or was that to pump out of a well? Oh, that was a, a pump out of the well. well. In the I guess it must have been out of the ground. He must have had a well down there with a hand. I, I would believe it. I was just making sure. That's all. Because the only thing they had hooked to the uh, tank that I can remember was was a spigot. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Never thought about it. You, tell me. Um, tell me about the uh, how how your grandma used to do laundry. How she you you just told me a few minutes ago how she used to do laundry. Oh, yes, she had a Maytag washing machine, one of the first ones that came out, and uh, with a gasoline engine on it. <laughs> That's and, great. And a Kickstarter. Nice. And she'd go out and kickstart that thing to do her laundry. Just like a motorcycle. And uh, <laughs> like a motorcycle, but <laughs> and uh, and then of course everything else was done by hand. The the ringing and the. And Is that the, right? drying it on a line and all this kind of stuff. Tell, tell me where this washing machine was located. Where it was located? Yeah. On the porch. Was it on the, in Nagshead Woods? Yeah, on so, the, in Nagshead Woods, they had a porch all the way around the okay, house. Okay. And she had it on one corner set up for her washing. And it was just left outside? It was left outside. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, but, but, so tell me about how, you just told me a story about hiking over to, um, um, Historic, historical row. What is it? Um, Nagshead row. The story you just told me about doing laundry or getting water down. Oh, and she doing... was carrying her laundry back one time. She took in laundry for the people over here on the beach. The uh, planters that had a cottage that they stayed in in a couple of months in the okay. summer. And she would take in the laundry there and, and go over and get it 
walk over and get it from Nagstead Woods. Okay. Carry it back and fold it up in in two sheets or not folded, just dumped in two sheets, two in a bundle. Oh, this, a huge bundle. Yeah. One over each shoulder. Yeah. Ima imagine taking all your laundry and throwing it into a bed sheet. And that's yeah. what you had. And I, I was going to walk along with her one time. Of course, I didn't carry any laundry. I was about <laughs> five years old, but I right. walked along with her. And uh, I wanted to go up on Jockey's Ridge. And uh, she said, no, <laughs> she couldn't go up there carrying this load, you know. Right. Well, I kept after her, kept after her. And finally she said, look, I said, I'm not going to go up there with this clean laundry that I'm carrying back to them right now. But when I get the dirty laundry, we'll walk up on Jockey's Ridge. Yeah. Said, okay. That satisfied me. <laughs> on the way back, she was carrying the dirty laundry. The wind had picked up. It was blowing pretty good. And had the sand just just blowing off the top of the hill, the top of the ridge, just as hard as it could go. It would sting your feet when you try to walk up there. Right. She walked me up there. That's a and, tough woman. Uh, all the way, it was on the uh, western side, so on the sound side. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we walked up there, had a good time. She was happy. She's, she was always smiling. She never got upset about anything. Yeah. And uh, back on down the shore. And Just lugging laundry. got to be up on Jockey's Ridge. I'll never forget it. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, let's see, living in uh, Nags Head Woods. Your dad, I'm sorry, your granddad would raise hogs and stuff in the woods? Oh, uh, I don't know what he raised up there. I, I know they had chickens. When I came along, they, about all they had up there was chickens. And I understand before then that they had other larger animals, but I'm not sure of what kind right. they had. But he did grow some pigs over on the, when they moved over to the beach. He had those out in back of the house, three, uh, three, three hogs. And uh, he grew them, and it came time to butcher them. He found out that he had become so attached to those hogs that he couldn't stand <laughs> to see those things uh, butchered. Yeah. So she, he left. He wasn't there for the killing or the butchering or anything right. that I saw. I didn't see him. He had somebody else do it. Right. He thought of one of us pigs there was, he was so he liked so much, he, he named her Judy Canova. And Judy Canova was popular celebrity back in that time. Yeah. Not supposed to have been a very good-looking person. Not a very good-looking person. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the name of the song. <laughs> good thing Judy didn't hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> and and when they when they butchered them, they had everybody around, family, and uh, probably some that weren't the family. I don't know that was in there, sitting out in the sand hill. Uh, cleaning these, cutting this, butchering these, these hogs, doing and cutting them up finer, you know, how they were going to be using them. So it was kind of a community ritual to just everybody help out? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, I remember distinctly Granddaddy's sister sitting on a stool with a bucket of water between her legs, and she's pulling these intestines through it, yeah. cleaning it out and, and squeezing it and running her hand down to squeeze everything out of yeah. <laughs> what in the world is she doing with them i didn't know they used those for making sausage how was that sausage yeah they may use was it a good sausage well i <laughs> ate a lot of sausage before i made the connection <laughs> <laughs> now you don't want to eat sausage do you <laughs> I, I eat patty sausage now <laughs> 
Patty Sausage. I'll remember that one. <laughs> That's too good. Uh, driving in the woods. Uh, what was it like driving, trying to drive a car through Nags Head Woods back then? Well, it seemed like the natural thing to do, really. Yeah. It was all sand. Everything was sand, and it wasn't any worse going through the woods except for the hills. You know, some of those were steep. There's turns in there that are, you look down and see, see down it. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, it looks like it's 50 feet. It's probably 20. Yeah. But uh, it looks it's a long ways down. Still there. gonna hurt when you fall down there. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, well, my grandfather didn't like a car. He didn't want one. He refused to buy one. But yeah. the family kept after him for years and years to get a car. So he went up to Virginia Beach and brought it back down the beach. That was the only way to get here then. There was no, no roads, no bridges. Couldn't get anywhere but boat. Right. He drove it down the beach, and when he went through Nags Head Woods, he, lack of experience, I think, he ran off the road like that hill. Right. And it went down in the valley. He got out of it, went home, refused to go back and get the car. <laughs> And uh, it's, it was still there. I think it was still there when I was when I was young. Yeah. I was told that was the car. Anyway, there was there was uh, not much left but an engine block sitting there. You might have stolen some chassis parts. And yeah. Covered up halfway, covered up with leaves. But I think most of the body had rent, rusted away by then. That's funny. So, so the man who wouldn't spend a nickel on anything just decided to throw away. No, he, uh, no, he kept everything. And he, yeah. He had a box of tools that he kept out on the porch a very small box of carpenter tools and everything he built he built with those tools wow one thing i didn't tell you is it uh when my uncle came back down from from uh, new york retired from the coast guard in 46 and started building a house over uh, on the sound shore my granddaddy helped him build it and they were up on the scaffolding one hot summer day trying to rip a piece of lumber it must have been a 16 foot length it was long yeah and they were taking turns with a with a rip saw with a hand saw wow and sweating and off in the distance <laughs> i keep hearing this noise you know a skill saw going yeah and they just look at each other and pick up the saw and keep on sawing and finally they said well you, at a time like this granddaddy said uh it may not be too bad to own a soul like that. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> you know? he was him, they were working hard at that. So here's a question for you. Um, I hear that they did some farming up there, but it sounded like they, they planted some stuff up in the woods as well. Does this ring a bell at all? Yes, uh, Tillett had a farm. And so would they just cut down the trees and open up a little area and yes okay that's, that's what it appears it was it was it kind of flat or was it always kind of like on the side of a hill was, or something uh, no it was it was pretty well flat because uh i believe the first tillet that went up there started the farm i'm not sure yeah but it was uh inherited by the many of the sons okay and uh as i remember seeing it it was pretty much flat right in that area yeah and it had been farmed for quite some time, and they had built a house back there that uh, I have seen it, but I've never been to it when it was standing. It's burned down now. Right. Uh, I guess, I, you know, I have done a lot of hiking in the woods there, and there are some flat areas. I could I could see you having a little, you know, well, little there was, plot. There was a flat area down the hill from my granddaddy's house. 
and uh, that's where there was an old man when I was young that uh, farmed there, a small garden, well, a large garden, we'll put it. It wasn't a farm for making money, I don't believe. He just grew his vegetables there. Right. Real old man, grandmother told him that he was, you know, I don't know, 90 years old or something. She said his secret to being able to work like that is to start out slow and just grub in the ground, you know, and after a while he'd get it all down and get his planting done and rest a lot. He said he, he, did, a, he did a lot of work. That's without amazing. any power tools or anything. Yeah. No mule for, for, for harvesting anything. Wow. Yeah, we called him Uncle Jewel. Okay, that was the Uncle yeah. Jewel. He said okay. he's, not, he's not your uncle. He's not really any right. relative <laughs> us. He's just a man that stayed here. That uh, His family was from up in Norfolk and Elizabeth City. And he, just, he was here with his parents, and they left, and he just stayed on. Is that right? So since we're on Uncle Jewel, let's go ahead and talk about his parents' hotel. His he, pa Uncle Jules' parents' hotel. They built the big hotel, yeah, right? Yeah, he was a Russell, and the Russells were the first ones that built. Were the ones that built the Nags Head Hotel that and was going strong in 1850. Wow! And where were they from? They were from Norfolk. Okay. And I think they had some holdings in Elizabeth City. Okay. And and how big do you think this hotel was? If you could guess. How big was this, the hotel? The picture I've seen out of it, it was huge. It was three stories high. Wow. And 1850. Wow. 1850s, huh? So there must have been a good business going on in tourist trade for quite some time before before 1850. Yeah, you wouldn't build a big large. hotel unless you had tourists. And I read the other day that they had uh, remodeled it in 1850. This is the advertisement that I've seen. Yeah. It's been freshly, freshly uh, renovated. Yeah. So it must have been there for quite some time in 1850 when to do that. And you say it was uh, equal to or associated with, uh, proximity-wise, the, the big Soundside Pier where the steamers would come in, correct? Every place, everything that I read on the subject, it was in the middle between the ocean and the sound. Okay. And the pier was built on the property, their property. Okay. And they're the ones <clears throat> that... Uh, not necessarily the Russells that built it, but somebody along the line that owned that hotel built the, the uh, track or the walk, roadway going over to the beach. Well, it was first from the first from the steamer that came in and a cart to carry the, uh, the cargo over to the hotel. Then they extended it on on the other side of the hotel to this ocean to take the people over for bathing. It was a, how would you describe this, a cart? Um, like a railroad uh, a kind of cart driven, without it was mule driven cart and a guy okay. named peterson well no it, he didn't necessarily run that cart a guy named peterson carried the people around and i understand he carried them from the hotel over to the beach they would just sit in the cart and he would pull it over with a mule or something yeah he gotcha. had he had uh oh gosh i forgot i forgot what the name of his uh Mule, I believe it was. <laughs> but they, I've even seen the name of his mule. Again, I, you know, you amaze me it that you know important. these names. It was important. The name of the, the mule was important to people like that. <laughs> right. Just like if you talk to people from wine, cheese, or in the fishing industry. Yeah. They won't talk about anybody without mentioning the name of their boat. Is that right? It comes up. Got to mention the boat. That way there's an association. <laughs> yeah, they name the boats that they've got and had and everything else. That's amazing. So I'm, I'm trying to 
picture this. Uh, and so just to give a little history, the steamers were coming mostly from Elizabeth City, but other towns along up up inland a little bit on the water. Well, they came all the way down from Elizabeth City. This is at one point period of time. Yeah. The people from Norfolk that were coming in as tourists would take a stagecoach from Norfolk down to Elizabeth City. Elizabeth City, they'd get on a steamer. Wow. And there was there was one that ran to the hotel and over at Mandio. And there was another one that was a larger steamer. Evidently, it couldn't get into Nags Head. They went uh, to the west side of Wanchese, I mean, of uh, the Wanchese Road, okay. the middle of Roanoke Island, and uh, Skyco. Skyco, yeah. And uh, I guess it sounds like that was kind of a popular stopping point. Yeah, that was uh -huh, at one time. And then they go on down to uh, further on down the sign. Is that right? Yeah. But before we move on, um, just uh, the hotel, the big hotel. Yep. And, we, and we don't know the name of that hotel right now, do we? The Nags Head Hotel. It was called Nags Head Hotel, mm -hmm. okay. We, you seem to think or believe that it was located near the current Nags Head Post Office. Is that right? Well, it was located between the ocean and the sound. There was another building. I don't know how, how large it was. Uh, on the sound at the foot of the pier. Okay. No, I take that back. Well, that's right. It didn't belong to the. Uh, it didn't belong to the hotel. Uh, Hollowell built one. Okay. Right at the right at the near the foot of the pier. And uh, he had a two-story hotel. It was quite large too. The post office was in that. Okay. Before Hollowell built that store and had the post office there. There was a small post office, a little little cabin type thing built with the name of Griffin. And the mail was then sent to, instead of Nags Head, sent to Griffin. Yeah. So, so far as some people are concerned, it wasn't Nags Head any longer. It was Griffin. <laughs> but, I wonder who Griffin was. Yeah, he was the man that run the post office. Okay. I, I don't know who he was or where he came from, but funny. I did hear something about his wife, but I can't remember what that was now. It's something wasn't wasn't too much interested in the Griffins at that time. Okay. So we uh, tomorrow is March one, two thousand twenty-one. We are on the downside of uh, a pandemic. I say downside because infections deaths are going down infections are going down we have a vaccine we're 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 hopefully we're rebounding back um and you seem to know information about the 1918 flu because your grandfather and his family survived it yes they were up in uh hampton roads area uh, he was up there working, and they, he stayed right in there during the flu going on until he started carrying bodies by on a, on That's a cart. That's crazy. So he saw on, it, you know. Court. He, he, he got his family that he had with him in his boat and came back down the sound as quick as he could. And stop right there, because I want, because we talked about this just a few minutes ago. Your grandfather, the same guy who discarded the Model T after yeah. one day. Yeah did all of his commuting by boat and he would work in Hampton Roads and he would spend a week or two up there, right? Or more? 
Oh, I don't know how long he was up yeah. there. I never found out. But he would go. He, he would ex, he would stay there extended periods of time. Yes. But he always took a boat back. I mean, because I mean, cars just were not you know, you know, not everybody had a car back then, and it was hard to navigate oh. around all the water uh, with uh, without a boat. But he'd take a boat. You're telling me you're all the way up to uh, Hampton Roads for work. Yeah, so I'd never heard of a car being down here before 1921. Is that right? Yeah. I wow. don't know whether that's true because there's a lot of people claim to have seen the first car. <laughs> so I'm sorry I interrupted you, but go ahead and tell. So he's seeing the, the bodies pile up. He's got family there working as well, correct? He's got what? His family. He has family members with him up there working. He had some of the family with him. Yep. Some of the older girls, I think, he had with him. Gotcha. So go from because, there. Because they were all sick. I don't know how many there were, but they were they were all sick and they were oh sleeping wherever they could yeah granddaddy got sick also where he couldn't run the boat left grandmother to do it yeah <laughs> and she had the flu also oh but it See, grandmothers are she, tough she didn't grandmother never gave up on anything yeah she she kept on going and uh she run the boat back supposedly this is what i've heard and uh, they got out. <coughs> they got to the house, in and they quarantined themselves. And quarantined themselves. Wow. Uh, and the neighbors would bring them food, set it on the porch. Right. And uh, when the neighbors would leave, they'd come out and get their food, and kept them alive like that until they got over the flu. Wow. That's, and nobody that's died. That's the way people worked. Yeah. yeah. They all seemed to help everybody out in every situation. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I've read about that. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just great. All right, so that's um, so that's kind of the Nags Head Woods chapter, and it's fascinating. Uh, you kind of come along. Um, you're born in New York, and you live up there with relatives, and then you finally come down here. How old are you when you finally, you know? Seven years old when we came back. Seven years old, uh -huh. and you moved into uh, the sound side of Nags Head? Well, first we lived at my... Uh, cleaned out my grandmother's kitchen which she had brought down from Nags Head Woods and uh, fixed it up and stayed in it for a winter that I can remember two right. winters two winters I believe and uh, in the meantime he was building the house over on Soundside Road who was he uh, my uncle I live with my uncle yeah and aunt yeah my, my father's sister and it took a good while to get the house built and he got that done and then we moved over there okay and uh that was in 47 i guess we let's see he came up in 46 i guess we moved over there in about 1947 okay before we go further i, I want you to share that story you told me about your your dad meeting this this nice lady in new york and they move into a house in Nags Head Woods. Oh, <laughs> this is when great. My mother in New York. Yeah. I don't know when they got married. I never did find that out, but I was born in 39, February. So they must have got married in uh, 1938. And I was still a baby. They came back down to, they came to Nags Head. He, he, he was just like me. When he marries a girl up, I've been married one in West Palm Beach, and I didn't lose any time getting up to Nags Head with her. <laughs> and uh, he brought her 
up to the woods. Well, she was straight from New York City. Yeah. And she was used to the the life there, which somebody else can describe that better than I can. <laughs> Electricity, indoor plumbing? <laughs> yeah, to, to a house that had a little cabin beside my grandmother and grandfather's house is where they stayed. Yeah. Uncle Joel's house, he, he had since died, and okay. they were staying there. And uh, they, they had no, no water, no running water, right. no electricity, no uh, inside toilet. It was all outside toilet. Right. And there was nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing in Nag's Head Woods to do. Right. If you weren't interested in Nag's Head, and she wasn't. <laughs> she didn't care about the sound shore going crabbing like everybody else did, right. picking up soft crabs and... And uh, she didn't care to go over to the beach, which none of us went to the beach anyway for anything, really. We didn't spend much time on the beach like they do nowadays. Right. And uh, she, she just would not stay. So she went back to New York. That's when my mother and father separated. Gotcha. gotcha. And I separated. <laughs> I, ju- I just found it funny, you know, just... You know. Oh, yeah, that you bring a young girl. <laughs> Welcome home. <laughs> she was about 19 years old, and she was used to the, I guess, the nightlife and everything else that they have up there in New York City, and she came down here, and there was nothing. Your dad must have been a serious talker to talk her into that, but obviously she didn't oh, buy it smooth in talker, the end. I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know him. <laughs> so so you, you spend your first couple of years in, um, in Nags Head, and then you head up to uh, – you, you relocate to – Kerala. First of all, why did you relocate to Kerala? Why? Yeah. My uncle liked to work, and he felt that was his life. And uh, he got a job up there as a guide and a caretaker for the place, for the club, for the Whalehead Club. Wow, he was a caretaker for the Whalehead Club? Yeah, he Whalehead was one of uh, five guys I think they had up there. Wow. Three that I know. I think they had more. So did you yeah, live? So did you live right near the Whalehead Club? Yes, we lived in a in Penny's Hill Coast Guard Station when I first went up. That yeah. was uh, Mr. Adams, the man that run the club at the time, had bought the uh, Penny's Hill Coast Guard Station when it was closed up by the Coast Guard, and brought it down to his club and set it up near right near the boathouse, and that's where we lived. Was there, in that it had a well my. My room was the the barracks for the uh, the big room for all the all the crew. So were you sleeping with the crew? No, wasn't any crew around. Just me. Okay, you were the crew. <laughs> just me, right there by the lookout tower, where I could run up there if I wanted to and take Is that a right? see around. And wow, that's cool. My aunt and uncle picked the uh, captain's quarters. Yeah. Or the or the caretaker or whatever they call them at the at the. And, and there probably weren't a whole lot of structures up in Kerala back then, were there? Like buildings. Buildings, yeah, there were quite a few. Yeah, I mean, for a, l- a little village, it was a little village, but it had been pretty much abandoned. There was a lot of abandoned houses. Oh, okay, and uh, one room school, right, and a post office with a little uh, snack bar, well, not snack bar, but uh, snacks. Yeah, you know, prepared, and uh, the school, which I remember the most was uh, one room, and they, they had added an addition before when the place was a little bit busier back in the 30s. They had added another room on the school, which was uh, where they fed the kids and uh, prepared lunches for them. Yeah. 
there were there were a bunch of kids going there then there must have been 20. (laughs) (laughs) at that time when i went to school there there was anywhere from seven to about 13. wow and uh, all the grades one through 12. wow did you teach the kids younger than you or because sometimes when you get in a single you know classroom school They'll let the older kids teach the younger yes, kids. Yes, well, if you go back and visit today, it looks exactly like it did. Is that right? When I went to school there, I was up and visiting it, and they they asked me to ring the bell. They wanted to take my picture while I was ringing the bell. Is that right? <laughs> and I said, well, I'll try. But when I went to school there, the bell, if you pulled hard on it, it would turn upside down, and somebody had to climb up on the roof and turn it over. <laughs> so I was very careful about pulling you don't want to get in trouble and i wasn't making a very good show of it but they got my picture that's awesome anyway and i explained to it they said oh no I, you can pull it as hard as you want to now it's evidently been fixed or changed the bill or something right that's funny so um tell me about um what you know as a kid what did you do up in corolla i walked when i wasn't in school i enjoyed walking yeah and I'd, uh, I'd walk the beach mostly and the hills out between there and the sound. The uh, sound side was kind of built up, uh, wooded area, I should say, not built up houses, but wooded. And had a little path that would go down one place. We had a little place, one spot where a path led down to the water. I'd go down there sometimes, but mostly I'd walk on the beach. Yeah. Is this about the and, time you started finding yeah, uh, World War II remnants? Started finding everything that would wash up wow. on the beach. It was coming out of the ships that were falling apart. Right. The ships, the ships that were typically the victims of Germany uh, and Nazis bombing those ships. Ships that were sub-sunk, most of them, yeah. I believe. In the very yeah. beginning of the war, they were, they were uh, over here with their subs just, just, all we were doing was uh, sending transport ships, uh, freight ships, freighters, yeah. because we were supplying England with a lot of their material right. that they needed, their arms and their ammunition and their food too, probably, I don't know. Yep. So and this is, after the, this is after the war, but you're still finding stuff. After the war until 1951, I found the, uh, K rations or C rations, whatever they were called. Yeah. In the cans and the food was still good at them in 50. Well, <laughs> How do you it was a little, little bad on them by 51. <laughs> it's a C ration. It can only be so good, right? <laughs> but the fact that you found them and tried them is, is a great story. Yeah. What else them. did you find? I oh, found a lot of canteens that would wash up. Wow. I always used those. And, uh, my Hughes, and I, Hughes Jr., my cousin, and I each had a canteen. We'd fill it with soda drinks. Uh, Pepsi's and uh, Royal Crown Cola yeah. and such as that to carry around with us when we woke up in Nags Head Woods because we, we'd go up there a lot too when I was down at the beach when I was at Nags Head. Right. And uh, I, I'd, I'd walk uh, to the next Coast Guard station which was about six miles when I get out wow. of school. I'd go down there and it would be getting dark by the time I got there. And my, I was going to catch a ride a lot of times. So I'd walk down to, to, catch, to catch a ride back with my aunt and uncle who were in Nags Head. And when they came back, I'd ride with them. And it was after dark before they came. I'd continue on walking sometimes yeah. on down toward Caffa's Inlet. Wow, that's a long and, walk. 
and uh, that would be another six miles. But yeah. I'd go about halfway, and there was a place about halfway where they could either drive from there to Cafe's Inlet. They could either drive on the pole road, which was over across the hills, or on the beach. Yeah. And uh, the beach wasn't usually good, but sometimes they would come. But on the pole road, I could see the headlights bouncing, so I'd go that way. Yeah. And if I saw the lights bouncing, I'd cross over the uh, yeah. the, the sand hills, <laughs> get, in, get up by the pole road, and, and uh, they'd pick me up. I never did miss them the whole time, but Is I would have right? had to walk over six miles back home in the middle of the night if I missed them. Yeah. And it was so where was that? Where was that other? Uh, so you're saying there was one Coast Guard station up by the lighthouse, and you say there's another one about six miles south. Uh, there was what Coast Guard stations? Yeah, they were spaced about six miles apart okay. along the beach. And I was told they were six miles apart, but okay. I've, I've I've looked and uh, it's it varies a little bit. Yeah, depending on where they really need them. They were all, which I didn't mention, they're all named after some uh, geographical feature, a sand hill. Okay. Kill Devil Hills was named after Kill gotcha. Devil Hills, Sand Hill. And, and that way uh, you could spot them and figure it out easily Yeah. which one was which. Yeah. Okay. Except so, the hills are gone now. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are. Yeah. Um, so since we're on that topic of you walking down around Caffey's Inlet and stuff, you got to tell me the story about um, almost getting bombed in the duck uh, bombing range. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, there, we would drive back from Nag, to Nags Head from Corolla when we stayed up there quite frequently. Well, both ways. But the uh, Navy was used that as a shooting range, and they'd have their targets set up from the sound over to the ocean. Right. So the planes would come in over the sound follow a, a line of targets in and then start shooting when they got right over the sound shore. The road from Kerala ran just just north of Duck, ran right through the bombing range where the planes approached and uh, on the sound shore. Yeah. And uh, that's the way we came. They usually came in by groups of five planes. Right. And when the five of them, we'd count them, and when five of them went by, we'd watch them. They'd go back over the ocean and start swinging around. And by then, we'd be th across the bombing range and over on the on the other side of it. Right. And they'd come around, and you'd hear them firing behind us when yeah. when we uh, after we made it through. Well, one day, we counted out five airplanes in a group going by, and there was a space, no more. We took off. Just as we took off, there were five more behind the, that five, that group of five, uh -oh. and they helped their fire until they got right over top of us, and they started let let go, and they were <laughs> oh, firing God. machine guns, I believe, is what they had, 50 caliber machine guns wow. on in the wings, and uh, uh, the car was loaded with uh, women. <laughs> it was Anna, my aunt Agnes was driving, and, and uh, there were there were five. Five of us, five women, I believe, in the car. Four women and my my aunt and me stuffed in the back seat. Yeah. 
And they were hollering and screaming, and my aunt <laughs> sunk down in the seat where she could hardly see where she was going, and the car was, she floored that car and going through the soft sand, the banks, the rut in the road. Yeah. So it was sweeping from one side of the, ro- of the, of the road to the other. But we made it through. And yeah. I was just sitting there fat, dumb, and happy because they were firing right over top of my head. <laughs> I knew they weren't going to hit me. And they- <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness and this wasn't you know like your brand new suburban four-wheel drive vehicle uh no it's 46 chevrolet 46 chevrolet yeah <laughs> just piled to the gunnel with people yeah they they knew how to drive in the sand my my uncle did especially he was good he, yeah he could really handle one in the sand did they have to air down all the time or they just always oh, yeah. yeah yeah let her down usually we slid them down to 16 nowadays with uh with the radial tires they don't go below 18 but Gotcha. We'd let them down about 16 then and then drive slow on the highway. Yeah. Or we actually would go, we'd actually go through Moore Shore Road, which is closed now. Oh, yeah. That's it's called Kitty Bay, Hawk. Bay Drive now in Kitty Hawk. Yeah. Uh, we'd go through Duck Woods, which was a wooded area with areas where you could go to the sound, good soft crabbing along the sound. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. So you, it's, at some point, and you were pretty young, maybe 10? When you went crabbing, um, uh, was it back yeah. in the 40s? You were pretty young, so you'd go. Uh, uh, t- tell me about that crabbing and well, duck. Well, I was I was 10 or 11 at that time. Yeah, and uh, my aunt grew up crabbing on the Sound Shore, and she knew how to catch a crab. Yeah, and she she'd park the car she was driving then she didn't let me drive until i was 10 <laughs> she, she was driving the car and she'd stop along there and 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 go down the shore pick up the crabs i'd go along with her bring them back to the car she would catch them and catch them by the by the dozens i mean i'd, I'd carry back several dozens every yeah. trip back get down to her again she'd have another dozen or two wow and st- i'd put a pack them in uh Little boxes that were cardboard boxes that looked like uh, beer crates back then. I don't know where she got them, but they were the, the, they'd, they'd hold about 24 beers. So we'd get two yeah. rows of crabs in them, packed in with the seaweed to keep them from drying out, yeah. and keep them damp. Yeah. Put them in the trunk of the car. I have the trunk loaded with soft crabs from just one or just her yeah. catching them. I never, I couldn't see. I didn't know it, but I was about half blind at that time. Is that right? And uh, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, hardly. And uh, pack them in there, and then she'd run on down the, the beach road when we get up home, get up Kitty Hawk. Yep. And she knew the places to go there, the hotels to go to, and I'd carry them in, and the people would buy them there. They'd get two or three dozen at a time, you know. Yeah. And then when, by the time we got to the sound side, they were all they were all sold. We have enough for ourselves. Is that right? That was it. And you had money in your pocket. Yeah, and nice. money in her pocket. <laughs> <laughs> she made you do the uh, the work of getting into the kitchen, but she, she took the money. Did the, she did the yeah, I guess work, yeah. She, I never she did, did the heavy lifting. Had a soft crab like she could. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I had a cousin too that uh, come down from to a road empty when I was renting sailboats down there, and she said, "Do you catch any soft crabs down here?" And I told her, best I knew how, where to go to catch soft crabs. She says, "I think I'll go the other way." Buy them, <laughs> and she'd come back with a 
Oh. Soft crabs, a whole whole bunch of them. Oh yeah. And I had no idea there was any soft crabs up up that way that she went. Huh. But she found them. That's amazing. That's kind of your. That's mostly your uh, Kerala experience. Um, and then after about three years, two or three years, you moved back down to uh, Nags Head, correct? Yeah, I was up there about. Well, when I when I was nine and ten, eleven, and when I turned twelve, we left. Right. And I went back to Nags Head. To the same house that your uncle built before? Uh, the house that my uncle built. And uh, moved back into that. And I stayed there until I graduated from school in 1956. Was it hard transitioning? So you went to the single room school in Kerala, and you, then you went to school in Manio. Was it hard transitioning to the Manio school at all? Well, I didn't get much of an education, but it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I was so far behind everybody else, it was pitiful. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I never. I guess I never did get caught up going through school, except maybe in math. I got where I could do arithmetic, I should say. Right. I got where I could handle that. Right. So, so you're uh, living up. You're living down here, and um, at some point, and I, I'm. I apologize if I'm not keeping things in a chronological pattern, but at some point, you work at the casino. That was uh, <clears throat> when we came back to Nags Head. Uh, let's see, I started, I guess I had to have been 16 when I started the casino because they served beer, but I, walk, I worked in the bowling alley, uh, taking care of collecting the money and making sure everybody kept records of their, of their bowling because they had to, we had to trust them to keep their score so we could tell how much to charge them. Yeah. And... Uh, I did that for for two or three years <clears throat> in the summer, two I think it was, and we lived right beside the casino. Okay. <clears throat> at that time, and uh, my uncle was running a service station there. He bought the business and was had to do something. He was running that service station and next to the casino. And, uh, they get, I don't know whether I told you or not, but they get to play in the uh, the bunny hop was real popular there okay. at one time and everybody jumping in unison up on the dance floor on the upstairs floor yeah and the post holding the floor would start bouncing <laughs> the bowling alley alleys would bounce up and down you exactly. had to close up some of the alleys while they were right <laughs> while they were dancing upstairs so just just to pause for a second um i learned about the casino only about 15 years ago I, I, I couldn't believe that there was a casino down here way back in the day. So it kind of fascinates my imagination. Um, but from what I gather, it was a two-story wooden structure. Um, basically, well, where Kitty Hawk Kites is located right now, more or less. Yeah, John Harris ended up buying the property. Matter of fact, John Harris got his start right there in, right. The, in the 70s, and right. working out back of the casino. Right. So, so this was... a it, you know, it. from what I gather, it faded away as time went on and big bands stopped traveling and stuff like that. But for a while there, it was like the magnet on the, on the was, outer. It was the place to go. Yeah. Yeah. That was about the only place to go. They had, <laughs> they, well, they had others now that I never did go to. They had, the, they had some smaller places. And then later on, uh, oh, in the late 50s, early 60s, something like that, there'd be other places opened up. 
further on to the north, the recreation center became popular yeah. in the late 50s. And there a lot of car. There was so much traffic you couldn't travel be- on the beach road at 35 miles an hour. Yeah, you couldn't do 10 <laughs> on it. So, so describe describe your memory of the uh, casino back when you were working there. Well, the casino. You, I guess everybody's seen pictures of it on the outside. Yeah, and on the inside, it was uh, on the downstairs. There were restrooms on the, well, there was a step going upstairs first, you saw, on your right-hand side. Mm-hmm. And then there were restrooms. And uh, there was a bar, a counter, more than a bar, a counter, that was right in the middle of the downstairs floor. The downstairs was pretty big, the full width of the, of the casino. Behind that... On a raised platform was the uh, bowling alley. How many lanes? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Wow, thirteen, I believe. That was big. Uh-huh. And and did they have did they have automatic pin setters back then, or did people have to set the pins? Well, they were uh, boys from Elizabeth City to come down and set the pins. They were most of them hired from Elizabeth City. Okay, just curious. Yeah. And they, they, uh, Rass Westcott that owned the, 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 the uh, casino had provided everything for them. They have a, uh, a man that w- was a cook upstairs. They had bunks in the back in the, up, uh, in the upstairs and uh, for the boys to stay in and uh, fed them some good food. I yeah. was allowed to. I, did, I lived next door, but I could go in and eat with them before we started to work yeah and a guy named cook colored cook named moochie yeah and he was he was a pretty nice guy and he could cook like i've never seen before it was delicious yeah everything he fixed for us was so they had a pretty good job they all had to work from about uh, i think they had to work at seven o'clock until 11 whenever they quit serving beer and after a while it was 11 or 12 o'clock they'd quit having to quit work so they had a they had a pretty good summer. Those boys did. Yeah. So the ground floor was mostly bowling alley, right? Well, they had machines too, like uh, slot machines. Uh, no, no, not no gambling. Just uh, what would be a video machine today. They had a mechanical, more mechanical type machines that you could play, you know, nickel, dime, or something like that, and play the machine. It was. Uh, Either shooting at a bear to run around on a track yeah. and stand up, and you'd shoot him. That was my <laughs> favorite one. And, right. Yeah. So they called it a casino, but it doesn't sound like there was like serious gambling. No gambling. There. there was no gambling there. Uh-uh. They just called it a casino. Well, now they did have fights upstairs <laughs> uh, uh, when things in the in the off season when things were kind of slow. Rass would have. Uh, Set up a boxing ring upstairs. Is that right? I'm talking about an organized boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then get a boxer or two around there that uh, was was supposed to be pretty good, and have others come in and try to beat them or something like that. <laughs> so boxing was a was a big thing back then. And yeah, not, it's not so much today. No bear wrestling or anything like that. What's that? And no bear wrestling. Wrestling bears. No, 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 nothing like that. Just a couple of guys getting up there beating each other. I have an old friend who used to wrestle bears, you know, is is long story, but it's just kind of amusing. 
mean, it sounds like it would have been a perfect place to wrestle bears. They could have gone over to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dismal Swamp or something and gotten some bears over here. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's bears over there. But um, so so upstairs, so upstairs was more of a nightclub where the big bands played or something? Yeah, they, when they didn't have the big bands playing, they had a jukebox going. Everybody got up and enjoyed themselves. It was a big dance floor. Yeah. And the band would be at one end on a stage, and was, uh, at the other end was a bar. Yeah. And uh, tables down each side by the windows. And the windows were just open holes with a shutter on them. They'd prop those open every every night. And uh, it was used for entertainment, too. The windows were. How so? Occasionally, yeah. Uh, uh, fights would start that weren't that weren't organized, <laughs> and it was seemed to be commonplace that the uh, whoever was fighting would uh, eventually jump out the windows, <laughs> of them, get out there in the ground where they had some room, batter each other around for a little bit. Then I, then I, I don't know what they did after that. If it got boring, we'd go back inside. And I, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people came just to watch the fights on Friday and Saturday nights. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, my and goodness. And he had some good bands playing in there. I heard. I mean, the, oh, you gosh. know, back when there was a in – the, in the nation, you know, there are these big traveling bands, whether it was, I don't know, Glenn Miller or something like that, and these big bands would just travel around and come in and yeah, play. Yeah, there was uh, – Fast Domino was there at one time. Wow. And uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, – the, 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 uh, Louis Louis Armstrong, uh, Louis Armstrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Louis Armstrong, and uh, the 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 the, the uh, Scandinavian guy from Denmark, I believe, he had a big band. Oh, all big bands. He'd get at least one a, one a summer in there. And all right. Fast Domino was there. All of the blacks people that were servants at the cottages on down the beach. They were they still had their their servants at that time. Wow, yeah. They'd all line up outside. They weren't allowed in, but they'd line up outside when Fats Domino played. Wow. They weren't allowed in. No, yeah. they weren't allowed in then. Yeah. yeah. But they, they came in and listened to him play. Yeah, that was too bad. They should have uh, let them all in. It, they would have crowded. The, they would have filled the place. Yeah. There was a, there was a lot of uh, people down here, black people here then in the summertime. Right. And it would have been interesting. I kind of felt sorry for him having to stand out there when they yeah. they enjoyed him so much. Yeah. So you, um, so you're a kid. You're living in Nags Head. Uh, tell me about <laughs> tell me about uh, Jockey's Ridge and driving around on Jockey's Ridge. And go ahead and, and you know go ahead and give me the history of the name and stuff like that if you want to go into that. The name of Jockey's Ridge. Yeah. Well, my grandmother told me one day that that was. Not Jockey's Ridge, not not originally Jockey's Ridge. He says it was originally called Engagement Hill. Right. And it was the tallest hill around, and it's the one that uh, the tourists or the uh, summer people that came in, the tourists and what have you, would uh, would take their girlfriend up to propose. Right. On a moonlit night, and uh, got the name Engagement Hill. Right. Now, after after all of this was going on or sometime maybe during another hill blew off from Jockey's Ridge and went down and covered up the hotel and then continued to blow on by and was when I came along it was behind my grandmother's beach house 
uh, the one on the beach, that is, that she had not up in the woods, but the house that she had on the beach. And that's where I stayed when we came back from New York. And we played on what was now called Engagement Hill. Okay. And so, so the names got changed. Now, Jockey's Ridge ran from what is now Jockey's Ridge, ran north along the east side of the woods. And it piled, the sand piled up there, and being blown over toward the woods and running out of uh, the wind. When the w wind hit the woods, it would change the direction and change the velocity and everything, and they would drop the sand there. Yeah. So that's where that ridge was built up, and it was a true ridge. It ran from, from the Soundside Road, Jockey's Ridge at the Soundside Road, clean up to the Collington Road. Right. Oh, something I didn't tell you. I found out that uh, Collington had the first plan plantation in this country. Is that right? They tried to tried to start one there, and it didn't go too well. Right. And I'll uh, just throw the throw that in. That's yeah. Just something I just rediscovered recently. Wow, that's amazing. And so, let me deviate for just a second. You talked about um, coming across when you first came when you were really young, and you came to the Outer Banks. I'm sorry. Was there a bridge or a ferry up by the Wright Memorial Bridge? Is now? Yeah, the bridge was put in here before I was born. Okay. Uh, it was not the Wright Memorial Bridge at that time, though, correct? Well, yes. It was. But it's privately owned. It was put in by a real estate uh, people that were wanting to get into real estate yeah. over, over here, and they were going to develop southern <coughs> southern shores. Yep. They named the development southern shores. Uh, they they were the ones who put the bridge in so that their prospective uh, customers Clients. could come in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so when you came, so you come across the bridge, if anybody's done it before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you drive past Walmart and Food Lion, which obviously weren't here when you were a kid, and you kind of go up that hill, and you get up to the top of that hill, and tell me what you used to see when you got up to the top of that hill where – the uh, visitors oh yeah you center have to is. remember you're going up a hill you couldn't see the beach you couldn't see the ocean there was woods on both sides you could see nothing you know kitty honk on one side duck on the other when you go over the top of that hill you get the view of the ocean for miles and miles and yeah. the beach on both sides you look there's nothing there but beach yeah I because mean, it is, it's spectacular yeah and just so anybody listening knows you know, back then there wasn't much foliage or trees once you got up over those woods, right? No, there was hardly any trees there's, at all there's on the beach. Maybe just a little scrub brush or something. Mm -hmm. And there was no houses and no hotels and no other buildings. So when you got up to the top, you did have a panoramic view of everything up there. Yes, I understand that a lot of people that what, that uh, read the advertisements for Southern Shores, you know, on your place at the beach, yeah, would come up there and get the same view that I got. Of nothing there. They turn around and go back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. They weren't really looking for seclusion. Right. It sounds good on paper, but when you live it, it's like, well. Yeah, it's different. I kind of like having that store <laughs> down Norris, the road. Norris Austin that lived up in Kerala. He'd been there since day one. His uh, grandfather came over to run, run the uh, lighthouse, yeah. caretaker of the lighthouse. And uh, he... You know, this was probably in the 70s or something. No, in the, in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, 
this lady called him up and wanted to come down and spend rent one of his cottages. Up in, says, up in now, Corolla or something? And he, and he, he told her, to, you know, take care of that, yep. no, no problem at all. She says, well, now I'm looking for a place that's isolated. She says, I don't want these crowds around all the time. I want to get away from that. She said, he said, well, this is isolated. <laughs> this is before they had a road up there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she went in by boat, and he took her, got her set up in the house. She thought it was, you know, a great spot. Yeah. Everything she said. Oh, where can I buy a bathing suit? <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> so this place is isolated. <laughs> you want it isolated? I got you isolated. Yeah. No. No Amazon to call and you know drop it off at your front door. <laughs> so I don't know what she did. There she was, stuck on the beach without a bathing suit. Well, the crowds probably weren't that big. She could have wore whatever she wanted. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, Tell me about, now this is kind of funny when you consider how much they're protecting Jockey's Ridge. And as a matter of fact, they're protecting all the beaches from people driving on them. But you used to drive on Jockey's Ridge with your vehicle. Yeah, I used to take my car up there. I took my uncle's car up there one day. He had big tires on his car. I had yeah. little ones. And uh, there's a lot of difference. His would pull real, really well. How old were you? Up on, the, up on there, yeah. How old? Huh? How old were you? Oh, I was probably had my driver's license then. Okay. You know, I didn't want to do anything illegal. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't illegal back then. I had my driver's license, right. and uh, he had big tires on a 1951 Plymouth, and the thing would pull pretty doggone good. And I, I went up there, and I parked facing up the hill. I either parked facing up the hill or down the hill, one way or the other. So you, you turn side two and you can't get going. You'll start sliding down sideways and can't get gripped to get turned around a lot of times. So I'd park facing either up the hill or down the hill. Well, I did this. Parked, put the car in gear, to hold it, and turn the engine off, and got out and the car started rolling back. <laughs> so I jumped back in and put on the parking brake, made sure I had it in the right gear, got back out and the thing started rolling back down again. So I, I stood there watching it was moving real slow. I watched it, and the rear wheels weren't turning at all. The front ones, of course, were. And the car was so light and had such big tires on it that it just slid down the hill with yeah. the brakes on. <laughs> I crawled back in, turned it sideways on the hill. I didn't have any trouble getting started in that one. Oh, yeah. But I had to leave my car up there one time. I went out playing around, and I got turned side two. And... Uh, <laughs> I couldn't get it out, and you can't call a tow truck. wasn't anybody around to do that. You had to know somebody, and there wasn't anybody around that would help me get it out, so I, I wasn't worried about it anyway. I left it there and went on to work. <laughs> and uh, a day later, the next day, people were coming in the, in the service station where I was working. said, did you know your car was up on the side of Jockey's Ridge? I said, yeah. I told them what had happened. I left it there. Well, we had a pretty good blow, northeaster, and it blew all the sand out from under it, right down to where it was good hard packed sand. I got in and drove it away. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And you used to take tourists up there? I have, yes. I used to have a, a cut down 32 Ford with big tires on it that it would get up the hill pretty good. And uh, they'd see me up there and they'd want to go for a ride, so I'd, I'd take them up and one uh, one girl even came by. Well, this, this family came by, mm -hmm. well dressed, nice nice looking 
and uh, that girl wanted to ride up on Jockey's Ridge. Her yep. father asked for me. She, he was real protective of her. He asked if I would uh, take her up. Could I do that? I said, well, sure, I can do it. So uh, she got on the on the car with me. I didn't have any body on. I just had a couple of seats rigged on it and a, a bed frame set up and the, <laughs> for, for where the firewall should be to support the steering wheel. Yeah. And the pedals and everything back then were all in the floorboards. So. We got on and I took her up there for a ride. She thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. I took her back down and she gave her something to think. Tell her friends when she got up. Right. She rode up right. on top of the You'll junkies. never believe this. <laughs> were, were, was it, was the Jockey's Ridge so wide open that you could, you know, maybe drive up, up and down a mile or two north and south or no? Oh, no, no. It was one ridge right after the other. One, okay. hill, one hill right after the other. Okay, I'm with you now. Yeah, mm -hmm. there were there were three, one in the middle between the two high ones. It was a little bit lower. Yeah, and the one on the east side, which was uh, one everybody saw, and then the bigger hill was over on the west side. It was it was huge compared to the uh, one on the east. Yeah, and uh, I couldn't drive up the steep side, but I could go up the uh, north side, which was usually a little bit uh, less of an incline. Yeah more gradual and go up there and then i'd ride down some of the steeper sides but i never did mess around on the the very steep part where it was about 45 degrees i just didn't want to do it people from virginia would do that later on when they started coming down they rigged up cars that would climb up the steep side yeah and uh, with enough speed they'd go up it and then they'd ride back down the steep side but i wasn't i didn't want to waste my car <laughs> oh, i did bend my car though up the you bent it Yes, I carried four, three people up there on it one time. They were my, one of them was my cousin, and he wasn't too big, but the other two guys were good size. Yeah. And uh, no, no body on it or anything like that to support the, the thing. I went down one hill just as hard as I could go, showing off, and hit the bottom and up the other side and pulling so many G's. That with all that weight on there, the yeah. chassis bent right down, almost dragging the ground. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now was this fun. a? Is this so? You're you're basically just driving this, an open chassis car around. Was this your daily driver, or did that you was, have another car? Well, no, I didn't always drive it. I had other cars up there too. Yeah. And uh, then what? Now, what was your question? I just wondered, is like. Was it was it so loosey goosey that you just drove this thing around town quite often, or it was just kind of a a fun car you used for? No, I I drove it around town, but I didn't have the body off of it that long before I bent the frame, and then I had to get that fixed. And okay, oh, uh, I don't know whatever happened to the car. I think my uncle gave it away when I went to Florida and left it in the yard. Yeah, <laughs> but you had your motorcycle. Yeah, I had my I had those later on. Uh, yeah, well, I had a little motorbike. Uh, is what I called it. It was actually done up. It was a whizzer, and everybody knows that whizzers were bicycles with a motor on them. Okay. This one was, and it was made by a whizzer, but it had a motor and a kickstart. Didn't have any pedals on it, so it wasn't a bicycle. Okay. And I used to ride it around there on the beach when I was 14. I had it 14, 15, 16 till I got a car. I rode it over to Mandio one time, and the, and the police chief over there, uh, Mitchell, <laughs> he caught me, saw me, told me to get that thing back to Nag's head, and said, "Don't come back over here again." So I 
went back. I, I didn't go back to Manio on it. <laughs> yeah, no, no need to look for trouble. <laughs> no, uh-uh. no, I didn't look for trouble. And, and and the police never rarely came over on this side, right? Uh, well, now at the casino, <laughs> yeah, uh, they had the police there. They had the shore patrol there at times, so they watched that place pretty closely. Right. But so far as a patrolman around, we had one highway patrolman that covered. Highway, uh, state highway patrolman that covered a large area, and he, yeah. he'd come through every once in a while. Everybody knew his name. It was Officer Holt. And, uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe you remember these names, but uh, that's great. Uh, I don't know how I remember some things because I got a terrible memory. <laughs> At least I think I'm I not do. seeing it. <laughs> the, uh, okay, so, all right. Um, I think I think that kind of wraps up, you know, your your childhood days on the Outer Banks, and just just great stories, great history there. But you have some other information about. Let's see, um, tell me. Well, t- tell me about your definition of the Outer Banks. What what are the Outer Banks for you? Well, the Outer Banks to me start in starts in Virginia, just north of the state line, and it runs all the way down past Hatteras, past Ocracoke, which is the end of the Outer Banks nowadays, right? and Portsmouth Island, and continued on down Portsmouth Island, and Core Banks, Shackleford Banks, and some people recognize that part as being the Outer Banks. Right. But back... We're talking, just to give everybody an idea, we're talking down by Beaufort and Moorhead City? Yeah, then if you go on down, there's Beaufort... Uh, not Beaufort, but uh, Atlantic Beach. Right. Right across the the uh, the bay for, or the Sound, uh, Bogue Sound from uh, Moorhead City. Right. And that continues on down to the county line, which is uh, down near Swansboro. Yep. And it's called the Bogue Banks. And uh, I think what had happened is that the Bogue Banks built up from the town of Moorhead City and. Uh, Atlantic's Beach over on the other side on the uh, on the core banks I mean on uh, Brogue Banks it built up over there and became a very populated area so that tends to make people think that that is not part of the Outer Banks right the Outer Banks starts right across the Beaufort Inlet at uh, core banks and runs north nowadays that's every everybody gets their historic information from the realtors yeah uh, Ocracoke is the uh, right is the last town going south. Right, the they'll, they'll spin it. They'll spin it anyway. That's the limit, want of, to. limit of the Outer Banks there. Yeah. Um, and you gave me a quick lesson on kind of the um, the original settlers of Nags Head Woods, and you know the the, the Nags Head Woods community was kind of the heart and soul of this north north outer banks area i mean that i'm sure there was other communities but that was a pretty important part of this oh uh, no nags head really wasn't important no back then it was just where the people lived and it was one of the smaller communities was it okay collington island was larger and kitty hawk was more i guess you'd call it larger yeah it was uh closer to uh, civilization anyway. The yeah. rest of us were kind of isolated. Yeah, it makes sense. But you told me, so I, I 
probably misspoke there, but you were telling me about um, kind of a, a three-pronged, uh, you know, community in Nags Head Woods. Go ahead and tell me about, oh, 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 the three distinct uh, groups of people besides the Nags Head Woods people, the, the natives that stayed here year-round. Right. There was also the Elizabeth City people that came down and started the businesses. They were second. They 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 would run a, a boat down to Elizabeth City, and they had uh, oh their home. So they not a home, but a cottage that they start with that they spend the summers in. And then uh, the the uh, plantation owners discovered it in about 1830s, I think. That's when people really started discovering the place was in 18. I mean, yeah, 1830s, and. Uh, they were building houses, places over here on the Sound Shore. And <clears throat> from what I understand, there's a lot of different histories on it, but um, it seems that they stay, everybody stayed on the Sound Shore at first and would walk across to the beach. Yeah. Because the beach was getting to be a big thing, which it never had been before that anywhere in the world that I know of. Is that right? It's, it's spending time on the beach. Well, they'd, uh, they'd walk across, and the first house was built by, over there was by a doctor from Elizabeth City, Dr. Poole, built one in 1855. Wow. And from there, the planters started building their beach cottages over there, and they ended up building from, from about Jockey's Ridge all the way down to uh, Edward Outlaw's cottage, which is where the Carolier, Cavalier Surf Shop is now, yeah. right across the street. And that's that was where they, they just about all of them settled, was right in there. Now, when they come down to settle, they'd buy land from the sound to the ocean, and some of them did anyway. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was Nixon that bought the first piece of property, uh, well, the notable piece anyway. Not the president, but that just the was, family uh, called he, Nixon from... No, it was, uh, it was by golly, it was Dr. Poole, I believe. And he, that's right, he was the one that built the first house over there, and he got lonesome over there in the summertime, wasn't anybody there. <laughs> so he started selling his land off for a little bit of nothing, pennies for... Well, he bought it for pennies for acre anyway. Wow. So he was selling it off at cost to anybody that wanted to move over there in the summertime. And then they ended up subdividing course then and making smaller plots yeah but some of them from the sound side from the um, from the pier south was pretty much all taken up by the cottagers the, the uh, plantation owners okay and a strip along the ocean and some of them would go from ocean to sound but I don't think most of those did I think they were smaller pieces of property right those nags had had already developed on the sound side which was right opposite those those buildings. Right. But anyway, it was those three groups of people that yeah. were here. And there was a little animosity. Sir? Animosity amongst those groups? Not really. No? Okay. Uh, isolated each other. Okay. One of them, the ones in the woods, didn't have too much to do with the people on the beach. Right. And uh, people on the beach didn't have too much to do with us. There were some pretty good, decent people there. Outlaw, I got a lot of information from Outlaw, E.R. Outlaw Jr. He was, he's got a little pamphlet. It's kind of hard to read and put it all together. 
he skips around. He wrote it as a letter to his children to let him know what uh, life was like when he was growing up on the beach. Yeah. Because he was one of the first to spend, not the first, but he was one of the first to spend the entire year down here, and he, he got used to it, and he stayed here. Okay. I remember seeing him. I never did talk to him. I wish I would have seen him. But I was, oh, 19. He died in 1954. Okay. And uh, I remember... I remember he had a jeep that drove on the beach that he was that he would bring down at that time and stay in the cottage his his father's cottage I believe and uh, he coated it with uh, linseed oil and turpentine just so he could do wood on a boat back then and it kept it from rusting yeah <laughs> <laughs> turned it black but it kept it from rusting <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah the, you know uh, my. My father-in-law lives up in Vermont, and there's a way you can oil a car up in Vermont to prevent it from rusting, basically. Oh, really? You oil it from kind of the inside out um, so that you could drive it around all winter without worrying about it rusting up on you. Very oh, funny. Okay, so somebody else knew about that. Yep, they, you know, same technology, just kind of passed around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same idea. Oh, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Okay. Um, anything else you want to share about that as a... Was there anything else on your list you wanted to share about um, the Outer Banks or oh. Nagshead Woods or anything like that or the history? Nothing nothing I can think about. I got other things. You want to stay a couple more hours? <laughs> you know, we're going to no. save. I, we might have to save something oh. for our next session. Oh, yeah. One thing I didn't mention to, today is uh, the plantation in Collington. Yeah. The, the very first plantation in this country was started in Collington. And what do you think they were farming? Do you think the... Was it cotton or something or? No, no, I have forgotten. It was uh, it was not tobacco, which was a big crop, and it wasn't cotton, which was a big crop. Yeah, I I've forgotten well now what uh, what the. What and do you think it was there. one owner, one plantation out there? Well, it was uh, Carteret, which uh, Carteret County is named after him, and he is was one right? of the Lord's proprietors. Okay. And uh, that's when the colony, that's when the plantation was started in the, in the 1660s, when the Lord's proprietors were set up to, and given eight of them, I believe, and given property over here that reached, I don't know, it's probably like uh, like Carolina was was uh, considered from here into to the Pacific Ocean or <laughs> yeah. wherever, you know. So I guess that they were given land, that much land in North Carolina and yeah. South Carolina, too. I don't know, in the Carolinas anyway. And uh, he was one of them, and he, had, he ended up with uh, Collington Island. Uh, and he, I was trying to think how, how, he, how they got the name Collington. It was a man named Collett, uh, Collett that... Uh, Maybe ended up with the land from Carteret. Carteret probably granted it to him. And uh, he started a plantation there. I don't know what they grew, but they had to they had to import workers yeah. to come in here. And I've always wondered whether the Beasleys were related to the people that came over in the 1630s because there's Beasleys all over the place. And uh, there's still a, a lot of them in, in Collington, on Collington Island. Is that right? Why, uh, anyhow, yeah, anyhow, that was the do, first. Do you think first they had slaves, sir? Do you think that plantation had slaves? 
Say again. Slaves? Do you think they had slaves at the oh, plantation? That was early. I don't know whether the slaves had come over by then or not. Gotcha. Just curious. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. They had indentured servants that would come over. Right. And uh, they'd have, I guess they'd come over to uh, to work the place. Brought with them from England or something. Mm -hmm. And then they worked their, their, their uh, time out, which was usually around seven years. Oh, wasn't it? And then it? they were free to do what they wanted to. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, I have read some articles on Collington and... Uh, and yeah, I, I know, I seem to recall that it was, they tried to use it for manufacturing goods or something like uh -huh. that, you know, is, but uh, I, I need to find that article and, and catch myself up with that. That, yeah. that could be a whole big discussion on that too. So, uh, yeah, know. there's, there's nothing on that that I know of. I just ran across that somewhere. Okay. And, uh, you don't hear about it in, in history books or anything. It just seems to be ignored. Yeah. That's kind of a big deal. That's, that's an interesting point that, you know, yeah. should be brought it should be checked in. Yeah. Well, it didn't go because the plantation wouldn't work on calling the island. It wouldn't grow anything. I could see that. So until it'll grow, it'll grow tourists. <laughs> it, it is now. Uh, you just sprinkle some now, water on them and they just <laughs> come out of nowhere. Yeah, it's now called Collingdon Harbor. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, I, I think we've, we've probably hit a good time here. We've been talking for 90 minutes, which is. It's great. I, I, I enjoy the talk. Um, I, I hope to bring you back again. We can think of another topic. You know, maybe, you know, we could talk about your uh, water sports business and being a captain and all that stuff would be really interesting. But I, I think this was a great 90 minutes. I don't think minutes. anybody would be interested in what I did. <laughs> I never had a, well, I was an aircraft mechanic. I did good at that. And I did a lot of things that I just fell into. Yeah. And, and enjoyed it, a captain. Yeah. I, I managed to work on a schooner for a while, working out of uh, Mandio yet. Is that right? And got enough time on that that I ended up getting a tonnage license from the Coast Guard so that I could run a, a dolphin tour boat, which I did for a while. Right. But that wasn't wasn't my thing, really. So right. I went down as far as uh, Honduras and over wow. in the Bahamas on that freighter. Wow. On a, on a different, he traded that and got a freighter. And yeah. Well, that was fun. That was the interesting part, but I fell into it. Yeah. Those are the best jobs. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. It was a good sport. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of foolish to do it, but the crew was even foolisher, so I didn't <laughs> Who's the biggest fool here? <laughs> yeah, I think I've had a few jobs like that. <laughs> but, uh, well, I tell you what, uh, the, the, the name of the podcast is called Treasures of the Outer Banks, and I think uh, we've definitely got a treasure in you, Wikey. I appreciate you know you sharing that history of the Outer Banks, and uh, I appreciate you being on the show. Well, I enjoyed it too. You're the first person that I've been able to talk to about it. <laughs> All <laughs> really right, really great. All right, mark the date. Thanks a lot. I'd like to thank Wikey Wise for meeting me down at Kitty Hawk Water Sports, so we could talk about some of the things he grew up with. I think that was an amazing talk and I have to bring him back and ask him more things. I'm already putting together a list of other topics that we can talk about or maybe we can drill down a little bit more on some of the things that we spoke about today. Anyway, I appreciate you listening to the episode. Thanks a lot and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the show and I hope you enjoyed these stories. I think the Outer Banks is a special place and sharing it with other people who love the Outer Banks is a real privilege for me. 
If you have a specific topic you'd like to hear or a specific person, please leave a note in the comments and I'll see what I can do. Remember, if you want to find treasure on the Outer Banks, just talk to a local.